of why we're drawing on that history is to, is to build a, a rebuild a sense of pride in this place that look great people have come from here and great people can come from here again and you might be that person Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Here we are, Appalachia Meets World. It's Will and Neil coming to you from Appalachia. Appalachia, in my in my case, I don't know. I don't know if you can say that. If my heart, if my heart's in Appalachia, then I'm (laughs) always in Appalachia. As long as the heart's in it, then I guess I guess we'll consider you still living in it. I'll go ahead and get started. Where are you from? Yeah, you know, you know where I'm at down here in the backwoods, just uh enjoying life, man. Hot, hot today, man. Yeah. Uh humidity in Appalachia gets increasingly any, increasingly hotter, I feel like. Any smoke? I was talking to somebody in Connecticut today and they said they were getting the remnants from the fires in Oregon, which is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy, man. All the way across the country. Uh, only fire we're getting down here is smoke from my fire I set in the backyard. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know I've always got a fire going somewhere. I do know that. There, there might be I, some remnants of that. I was going to ask you. I was just going to talk more, I guess you would call it globally. But what do you think about the spaceship? And uh, Yeah, man, like I, I was talking about that today. Like, what is the deal with billionaires right now? Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, I got all this money. So now it's a race to get into space first, like to say I'm an astronaut. Yeah. Really? I know. I know. And I understand the whole, you know, back in the day when NASA went up and it was like, oh, it's going to introduce a new age of innovation and, and new retrospective in regards to future of America, blah, blah, blah. But now it's like space tourism. Let's let's see what rich millionaire can get to space first. Yeah, it's not even the millionaires. It's it's the billionaires. Like, hey, well, yeah. I got more money. I got more money than you. So I'm going to go to space today. And, that, okay. and that's fine if he wants to spend his own private money to do whatever he wants. But they're getting, yeah, but bill, they're getting bill, yeah. with the B, billions of dollars, yeah. dollars of public subsidies to help yes. them out, which I understand. I'm, I'm as much a proponent as public-private partnerships as anyone. I mean, if something comes from it, like if they were focused more on research and the betterment of the community, the betterment of the world, great. But I can't see it right now. Yeah, because basically it feels like they're all at the track seeing whose motorcycle can go the fastest. <laughs> I mean, that's literally, literally what they're doing. Well, I think it was 10, 12 years ago, Bezos was, was on record saying, maybe it wasn't that, maybe it was 2018, not 2008. Maybe it was 2018. He was on record saying he couldn't find anything else to spend his money on on Earth, so he wanted to go to space. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, with all the problems that we have right now, he can't think of anything – anywhere to spend his money which i'm not i'm not telling anyone where to spend their money but let's don't glorify a dude that wants to go to space hey jeff give me a call i'll tell you how to spend it. <laughs> it's bezos too man in appalachia we call him jeff bezos bezos whatever yeah, his name I, is yeah whatever just too much money is what i call it yeah i mean yes get, get some real world problems you know I'm over well, Speaking it. of real world problems, we have a really good guest on tonight, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. 
Brandon Dennison from Coalfield Development. They're doing some really, really innovative, great rural things in Southwest West Virginia. Yeah, and and hopefully our guests will hear that. What a great concept, number one, and then having the gumption to to be a be a what I like to call a doer and, and accomplish your concept. So. I'm looking forward to talking to Brandon and, and I know it'll be great. Uh, I hope our listeners get that, get that as well. Yeah. I love that term, man, you, that you use and you, I've heard you use it before be a doer. A lot of people have ideas and mm-hmm. I think we heard in our last episode, unless you actually do those ideas, they're just ideas. You got, you got to put your feet on the ground and actually do the work. And that's where lots of people fail to, to reach those accomplishments that they dream up. Because there's tons of people that have ideas. There's just very few people that make those ideas reality. And, I, you know, Brandon's one of those guys that had an idea and made it a reality. So I, I, got, I got the utmost respect for him. And uh, I look forward to talking to him tonight. Let's get into it. Let's listen to this doer and, and get on with the episode. How about it? Sounds good, man. Let's do it. We have on the program tonight, Brandon Dennison. He is the CEO of Coalfield Development. It's a social enterprise that's rebuilding the Appalachian economy from the ground up. I know that's your tagline, Brandon, and we want to welcome you to the show. And we, we definitely appreciate you being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We will start the show like we do all shows and, and all guests. We'll ask a kickoff question. Um, it's my favorite question, by the way. So. <laughs> like Appalachia is big on tradition. Neil and I, our family's big on tradition. One of the traditions we have, we have a big spread of appetizers at the holidays. We usually have more appetizers than the actual meal. So as the first question, we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? I'm a sucker for nachos of all different <laughs> varieties. Very, very <laughs> Appalachian dish. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> How does it? Does as it long have, as you pile a bunch of meat on there, then okay. it becomes Appalachian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I was going to say. Is it just the nachos, or does it have to have something with yeah, it? Yeah, no, no. You got to like pork. Well, the cheese is critical. Uh, right. Jalapenos always help, but I like pork nachos or beef nachos, or yeah, pork and beef or chicken. Chicken's okay. I like pork, pork and beef nachos. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. I like it. I like it. My wife makes a mean bean dip that we have all the time and dip our nachos in it. So, yeah. Well, yeah, so that's true. And then you have, like, tailgating season. So, I grew up yeah. near Marshall football. Oh, yeah. Um, so Big Chad Pennington fan. Big, yeah, love CP. He's the, he's the greatest. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, like, buffalo chicken dip or uh, cream cheese and sausage dip, uh, great, great tailgate tailgate snacks small yep. world i grew up playing with uh chad pennington over at norris lake in tennessee his grandparents, okay his grandparents owned, right. owned a place over there i think he actually owns the, the dock, dock over there now I think. Over yeah his, his oldest just committed uh to, to come to marshall marshall as oh, really? well so the tradition continues right? yeah so he his oldest plays at a really really small private school in kentucky that I really, and he's the coach there. So right. in, in Lexington at, at Sayre. Anyway, yeah. So he, he's played, he's going from really, really small uh, private school to to the big time. So, but he is, he is very good. 
got he's got good good blood for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So Brandon, we, we talked about this earlier, but we've had a series on entrepreneurship, really on and it, during this series, we talked about how important it was to diversify the economy, especially in Appalachia. And kind of as a backdrop, I just wanted to leave it to you just to talk about what co-field development is. I know the importance of diversifying the economy, but can you just tell our listeners what co-field development is? So we start uh, new businesses and we call them social enterprises. And that's because the business model of a social enterprise is trying to do a social good, sort of like a charity, but achieving that good through business concepts uh, and having earned revenue so that you're not totally dependent on grants and donations for your survival. And so we start new social enterprises that are designed to model what a new and more diversified economy could actually look like. So we helped start uh, the first solar company in Southern West Virginia we have a construction company that redoes old buildings, makes them more energy efficient. Um, we have a light manufacturing company that makes products out of reclaimed, recycled material, a local organic agriculture company. So, you know, we know that our companies can't re-employ everybody that needs a job uh, in the area, although we'd love to try. But the kinds of businesses that we start are important because we feel like those are modeling what a new economy can look like and, and showing what what's possible for entrepreneurs here in Appalachia. Very cool. And we are definitely going to dive into that to some more. But I wanted to ask you, Cofield Development has been getting a lot of press, you know, especially recently over the last several years. I even saw you re recently speaking at the Rotary Club of Silicon Valley. I mean, what? Yeah. What boy from the Cofields gets How did I end up there? <laughs> in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I just, has that surprised you as much attention yeah, that, totally. that you're getting? Um, totally. I mean, I, I can't tell you how humble we started. <laughs> you know, I mean, we started as a total volunteer effort in the summer of 2010. 2012, my best friend from high school, a guy named Chase, joined up with me and he got our contractor's license. And we had a truck and we had three guys and, and some tools. And, we, you know, we started in, in construction. So, and I would have been totally happy if that's all that it ever was. I mean, honest to God, that would have been fine, fine with me. I think we just hit on something that both, you know, locally was really needed. I mean, jobs were needed. Um, opportunity was needed. Dealing with old empty buildings, you know, was needed. But then I think nationally, uh, we hit on something in the sense that I think a lot of people care about the environment right now and they care about climate change. But I think people who care about climate change have started to realize, you know, if we pass these huge sweeping policies that sort of change the whole energy system of our country, that's going to have really negative impacts for these communities that have powered the country for generations before this new system comes about. And so I think there's an increasing awareness of, you know, we're going to, if we're serious about this climate change stuff, we're going to have to figure out how to support these communities that have, that have powered the old, the old energy system before this new one. And so I think we just sort of found ourselves at this intersection of, of interest that people have between, you know, caring about the environment, but also realizing that communities who have provided energy for the country didn't really do anything wrong. Like people just did their jobs. 
and 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 that's not to be dishonored or disrespected. We totally agree with that. Well, I, I work in economic development. And one curiosity question that I had: economic development for years has always been jobs, jobs, jobs. The last last several years, it's kind of transitioned into workforce, workforce, workforce. Some something unique and I think clever and really ingenious that that you've done is combine economic development and workforce, which I think often is not the case. Systematically, economic development and workforce development don't really work well together. The system's separate. But you have combined the two. Was that something in the beginning that you were thinking, or did you think that you wanted to be a workforce development organization that just happened to start social enterprises, or was it kind of the chicken before the chicken and the egg type of thing? That's a good, yeah, that's a good question. I think in the early days, we I wanted to be more on the workforce development side. And then I think I realized as our first crew got close to their graduation, it's like, oh my gosh, we got to figure out what the next step is. And then you start looking around. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, the best job training in the world doesn't really mean jack squat if there aren't jobs in the first place. (laughs) Um, And yet it's hard to create jobs in the first place if you don't have a trained workforce to fill those, I mean, it is a classic chicken and the egg situation. And so sort of what makes Coalfield special, it's sort of glaringly obvious <laughs> and yet, you know, and yet it's complicated too, of like, we've got to do job training and actual job creation at the same time. And, and, and that's what we decided to do. And I think the reason people haven't done that as much before it's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just that it's really hard to do both those things at the same time. And we were just willing to, to try and do it the hard way, but also the better way. Has it been hard starting those uh, employment opportunities in Appalachia? You know, Appalachia is not the easiest <laughs> economy to start businesses. It, it, it has been. I mean, I sort of I hate to say it out loud because my hope for Appalachia is like to become the startup region of America. I want people to come here and start businesses. And yet I do think there's a reality of like, it is, it is, it's tough to do business here. And sometimes you know, it's just a capacity issue, right? Capacity I mean, issue, access to markets, transportation and logistics. You know I mean? Shipping a product out of our hills and hollers is very, very expensive. Uh, it, 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 it just is. And so it, 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 it and that's all before the workforce issues, you know, the, the challenges of the workforce. So. But we got to figure out how to do it. I mean, it's our, I think entrepreneurship is our best hope for a stronger, better, more fair economy. Kind of getting back to the workforce. I know just for our listeners, you have a 33.63 model. I think Neil maybe wanted to ask this question because Neil was a small business owner. And one of the things I know that Neil always had a problem with is that when people worked for his business, it was just a job to them. It wasn't anything that they were working towards. And I think your 3363 model is just a genius way to provide opportunity for individuals that are working for you. Not not really working for you. You train them to have opportunities beyond you, which I think is just an excellent way to do workforce training. Can you talk about that model a little bit? Yeah, I think to your point about like jobs, 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 you know, and then it's like training, training, training. And and I think sort of what the politicians give speeches about it is so oversimplified. And, you know, I mean, when we talk about job training, we're also talking about human beings who 
they aren't just like pieces on a game board to be moved around. Like people want to have dignity and agency and meaning and, and purpose in their lives. So it's not just about training someone to do one thing for the rest of their life for low pay. It's about helping people find something they really care about, can be passionate about, plugging them into to new, new innovative businesses and saying, you know, you're not just a trainee, you're an actual employee of this business and you're going to help us grow this thing. And you're going to be part of the rebuilding of the Appalachian economy. There's so much more dignity in that sort of framing as opposed to just come sit in a classroom, you know, do a training, get a certificate, and then maybe you'll get a job. Maybe you won't. So, so can you tell the listeners what that, what that 33, six and three, what, what does that entail? So that's how we organize the work week for our trainees. So whether they're in agriculture, construction, solar, whatever, uh, there's 33 hours of paid work. So it is a real paid job. That's, that's the main hook, but six hours a week of, of community college classroom time. So all of our trainees are working towards an associate's degree or, or a vocational degree of some kind. They're almost always the first in their family to do so, which is, a, which is empowering and important and inspiring. And then three hours a week of what we call personal development. Um, so we all know we have a lot of poverty uh, here in Appalachia. And so we're carving out three hours every week to say, you know, what are the pain points? What's the trauma that we need to heal from? What are the, what are the goals that you have for your life? And what are the barriers that are standing in the way of those goals? And what do we need to do to overcome those barriers? Um, so it is, it's a very comprehensive approach. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really cool model. Was it always 3363? Not always, no. We sort of um, stumbled into that through yeah. trial and error. The three, initially the idea was simply, you know, let's create jobs. Let's try and do it in some innovative areas, um, you know, that haven't been tried yet. And then let's include the community college component. So it was much more loosey-goosey in the early days. Over time, I sort of realized that the structure was actually a real gift. I'm not a super structured guy myself. I sort of like to have the room to be flexible and innovative and all that. But I realized a lot of people coming into the program were coming out of just pure chaos in their personal lives. Um, You know, substance use, addiction, financial ruin, abuse and neglect in, in, in some cases. And so that actually the more structure we could provide, that was sort of a gift for our folks in a lot of ways. And and, and t- in a little bit of just quiet time to think and reflect about, you know, who am I? What do I care about? What do I want out of life? Uh, as hokey as that might sound, it was actually quite meaningful and valuable to the, to the people that we were working with. So the three came last. I, what we realized is... Um, and, and Neil, I don't know if this is, was your experience with the workforce that you had with your businesses, but the work ethic was not a problem. Like our guys and gals would come at like 5 a.m. and they'd stay till eight if we would let them. They love to work, but it was more the at-home stuff that was getting in the way of our success. The, the addiction problems, the family problems, the financial problems, the healthcare problems, the transportation problems, the childcare problems. That's what was sort of pulling our people back uh, into poverty and, and holding our people back. And so that's why we developed the three later on to say, look, we're just going to carve out time every week 
to try and deal with this life stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, it's great. It's genius. Uh, I love it. I love that approach. Just to uh, switch gears just a little bit. I, I think history is a large component of your, I won't say business plan, but just your mantra there at Cofield Development. And we were talking to a guest recently who it just happened to be, happens to be from West Virginia. He was on an episode previously. He made a really good point. He had to leave Appalachia. He had to leave West Virginia to learn about Brees, PJ Pancake, to learn about Bill Withers, to learn about Chuck Yeager, to learn about Katherine Johnson. The list could go on and on. He All people we include in our yeah. personal development curriculum. <laughs> he had to leave West Virginia just to learn about those West Virginians. Um, so just in regards to history, how important is history to the culture of Cofield development? And how important is kind of the culture of coal, the history of coal to Cofield development? All, obviously, it's in your name, but I guess that's a two-part question. But it just seems that history is really important to Cofield. Yeah, I, I think history is really important. I, I grew up in a family that valued history. Um, you know, my dad sort of had a lot of family stories about our, our own family's history that he would tell again and again. We'd go to the family cemetery in Braxton County and, and hear those stories. And that really sort of shaped uh, who I am and my sense of my own identity and lineage. So we have a personal development curriculum for those three hours we have 12 personal development themes and 12 professional development themes. And for each of those themes, we have a West Virginian from throughout history who embodies one of those themes. Uh, Catherine John, I, I think every one of those that you listed, except maybe Bill Weathers, and he probably should be, are West Virginians. What's that? <laughs> I said, yeah, he definitely should be. Yeah, he should be. You know, our West Virginians who um, – who embody one of the one of the themes. So, for example, Chuck Yeager, first man to ever break the sound barrier. One of our personal development themes is regulation of emotion. So, a lot, you know, a lot of our people have never really figured out how to deal with emotion. And so that can lead to, you know, you're on the job, your supervisor reprimands you because you, you made a mistake and then you just sort of blow your top, you know, knock the door off the hinges and squeal out of there. In, in your car and, and quit. And it's like, it's, did that really have to happen? Let's, let's, let's look back at that moment. How could we have regulated our emotion a little bit to certainly, you know, stand up for yourself, communicate what you need to communicate, but do it calmly, stay cool. That's going to be in your interest over the long term. So the reason Chuck Yeager is the West Virginian for that, you know, pilots still today sort of emulate his calmness so when you hear a pilot on come over the intercom on an airplane, they sort of have this monotone, you know, really purposely overly calm approach. And it's said that a lot of pilots that started with Chuck Yeager and sort of trying to emulate his, his coolness and his calmness, even under extreme, you know, pressure and duress. So part of why we're drawing on that history is to, is to build a, a rebuild a sense of pride in this place that look, great people have come from here and great people can come from here again and you might be that person. Um, and, and I think that is important. I think that our self-confidence as a region is a little bit damaged right now and, and we need to build that self-confidence back up. Just uh, to the point of coal, is that is that important to Coalfield to just at least remember the history, the culture? Oh, totally. It, it's part of why we have the name that we have. I mean, honestly, our name confuses people 
a lot of times because they think we're a coal company. <laughs> yeah. But the reason I, I stick with it is, is this exactly. It's saying like, look, the future of our economy is changing, but traditionally we have been the coal fields and that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's actually something to be very, very proud of. Yes, things are changing, but this region powered the country. America is what it is because of coal country. And that needs to be honored and, and respected and appreciated. And so that's why we stick with the name. It might have to change eventually, <laughs> you know, but, but for now, I think it, it works exactly because of what you're getting at, which is the history. I, I think kind of to that point, one of the reasons why we started this podcast was to just kind of dispel some of the negative stereotypes of the region. Uh, you know, people from outside the region just really don't understand what's going on in the region, all the great things that's going on. So from someone from outside the region, what what would you say to them when they say, Neil and I did an episode on opportunity not, not too long ago, but what would you say to them that they if they said there was a lack of opportunity in Appalachia? And I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, but how would you dispel that or, or suggest otherwise? I think, I mean, I've started to call it a movement. I don't know if that's overly dramatic, but you guys are examples of that. I mean, other, it, it doesn't have to be younger people, but it is a lot of younger people, younger entrepreneurs who love this place and who are committed to it. And sort of, we know we haven't reached our potential as a region. We know we have more to offer than what we've been given the chance to offer. And I mean, my friend, Dan, and I, you know, we started that solar company out of the, an old ice cream truck, <laughs> the used ice cream truck, you know, we got it for like a couple thousand bucks and now it's a 50 employee business. And I've seen, you know, agriculture companies sprout up out of former mountaintop removal sites that people said, you know, nothing could ever grow there again. And now it's a lavender farm and, uh, can, you know, construction companies taking old buildings that most people said you'd have to tear that building down and now it's a new hub for four or five different businesses and green affordable housing. So there's something about Appalachia that, you know, young people here just can't give up on it and won't give up on it. And it gives me a lot of hope for the future. I would also, you know, push back, like how, how do we define opportunity in America? You know, like if you want to get a six figure salary job where you wear a suit every day, and you shop at Target, like, no, we might not be able to offer you everything you wanted out of life. But if you want to have a, a full a full life where you can hunt and fish and kayak and canoe and have a garden and have a genuine conversation with someone who's not going to put on airs and might teach you a new skill like canning or quilting or playing the banjo, we can offer that. So, so I think there needs to be a conversation too about how we really define opportunity in this country and, and, and what that really means for us as a people. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I don't want to switch where you're going, but just speaking to those uh, businesses that you've, that you've developed or are, are those things like the solar company, for instance, is that something that I know you said it started from an ice cream truck, but can you speak about how that came about, how that started. Did it fall into your lap? Talking about opportunity, in most cases, somebody has an idea that they really want to do and they pursue that idea. Are, are those ideas coming to so, you? So something important I should have said earlier is that the, the way we work, it's, it's not about growing coal field development to be this huge bureaucratic entity. 
Um, it's really about building a network of entrepreneurs throughout the region and supporting them from the bottom up. So the irony of all of this is like, I know, I, I, you know, very little, I've tried a garden. It was mostly weeds, <laughs> you know, like I'm famously bad with the hammer. Solar is totally above my pay grade as far as like the, the electrical knowledge that goes into that. So what's made all these things work is the different businesses have had entrepreneurs who they did know that business. They love that business. They woke up every day determined to make sure that business succeeded. And all I did was fundraise, strategize, market. And then I do what I do. What I am passionate about is the workforce piece, sort of bringing that 33, six and three model to bear and implementing that and integrating that with the business plans and models that these other entrepreneurs had. So Dan Conant is the founder of Solar Holler. And he reached out to me. I, I can't even remember at this point how he found me. And he said, you know, I, I've spent some time. I, I grew up in West Virginia. I want to come back. I spent some time in Vermont learning about the solar industry. I want to start a solar company in West Virginia. And the only thing that made me and Coalfield different from any other people is that we said yes. <laughs> you know, we said like, we were like, yeah, let's, let's try that. You know, we didn't get caught up in the politics of that or the, you know, how that looked or how, if that was offensive, we just heard good quality jobs, new business opportunity. And we said, let's go for it. Uh, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm so glad that we did. Solar so holler. A lot of these have definitely fallen in my lap and I just said, yes, let's try it. Yeah. Um, oftentimes it takes uh, what I call a, a doer or somebody that's willing to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together to get, entrepreneurs to that next level to that point where they can uh really grasp hold and, and run um but you talked about solar holler i just want to tell you I, I have reached out to solar holler recently and and uh looking at converting my house uh to solar power so they've done an excellent job so far uh, so anyway that's just uh, let me know if they don't we'll get on them <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing i mean solar is the pleasant surprise i mean if you would have told me when we started, you know, one of your most successful enterprises is going to be a rooftop solar company. Yeah. I mean, I'm an optimistic guy, but I would have, you know, I don't know if I would have believed that. Especially so, 10 years ago, you would have bet it hard against that. I would have. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. So, so, so to be honest, when we first launched, when we first not launched, but sort of like we're putting out feelers for the Coalfield development development vision we were calling our job training program, the green collar jobs initiative. And I realized very quickly, like that is not connecting, <laughs> you know, like that, that is, that is not uh, going to work. And so we sort of scrapped that quickly and called it. The, yeah. So it's never going to be greenfield development, right? Whatever name we come up with, it won't be that. <laughs> well, I just also want to take a moment to point out that I reached out to solar holler because I live in Appalachia uh, the other guy you're talking to, he he can't even reach out to him. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we've talked about that. I wish I could. <laughs> kind of to that point, I, you know. I yes, I left after high school. I'm still trying to make it back to the mountains. You know, I've I've through my work, I've worked all over and everywhere that I've worked. Always in the back of my mind, I've I've always I've seen similarities in everywhere that I've worked with Appalachia, with home, and I've always tried to think about how what I'm doing elsewhere could could work back home. In reverse of that, have you seen what 
you're doing there at Cofield Development, have you seen that it could work in other places? Like, I know I've heard you before say that you not, aren't necessarily worried about scaling Cofield Development, but you, do you think it could work elsewhere, uh, say in Kentucky and Pennsylvania, or even on the out west or, or other small rural areas, other extractive? So, yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and I think the beauty of it, like it doesn't have to be replicated. It doesn't have to look exactly like how we do it. You know, every community is a little bit different. And so the way we've thought about scale and growth is not to grow our, our own organization, but more to grow this network of entrepreneurs who, who share our vision and our values. I do. I think the 33, six and three model in particular, it is very replicable. It, it works in like different industries, different sectors and different geographies. We actually do have a couple of groups now, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, who, who are starting to replicate the model in their own community. And it's really cool to see because like, we don't have to control that. You know, we can sort of share what we know with, with other community groups and entrepreneurs and, and they're taking it and running with it. And so it just sort of seems to make intuitive sense the way, you know, no one piece of that model is actually innovative. You know, on the job training is nothing new. Higher education is nothing new. Personal development, mentorship, nothing new. But I think the way we put it together is a little bit creative and it just makes sense to people. One way that I know that Cofield's pretty cool is um, I actually watched your 10 year anniversary. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was watching that. And one way that I know Cofield's pretty cool is that your CFO is also uh, a local hip hop artist. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> how, how different is that? CFO is. CFO Sam is a legend, <laughs> a.k.a. Sin Revel. <laughs> What's that? His rap name, his rapper name is Sin Revel. <laughs> Does he put that on his ID tag? CFO Sin Revel. <laughs> he was real shy about it for the first few years. And we had a heart to heart. I was like, dude, this is awesome. Like, you have to, we are proud of you and your art. You are the only <laughs> rapper in West Virginia. Yes, embrace it. <laughs> Absolutely. Be proud of where you're from. Be proud of who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do, we, we have a very sort of quirky team and a very committed team. And we try to have a, a, a culture at Coalfield Development that, uh, I, like, I think diversity is really important point um, for our organization. So we talk about economic diversity, which is key. You know, like we, we, we don't, regardless of what you think about coal environmentally, you know, from an economic perspective, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, right? Like if, if you go to a financial advisor who's worth a dime, they're never going to say, hey, you should put all your money in bonds or you should put all your money in stocks or you should put all your money in savings. They're always going to say, diversify. And, and I think that's the economic message for, for our region. But I also think for, for our communities, um, you know, diversity is, is always going to be a strength. And so we talk about sort of looking at ecosystems, you know, the strongest, healthiest, most vibrant ecosystems in the world, the coral reef, uh, the jungles, the rainforest, the deciduous forests like we have here in Appalachia, it's always because of their diversity, you know, just the abundance of different kinds of species that interact with one another that that gives it gives that ecosystem its strength. Uh, and so, you know, we, we cultivate a culture at Coalfield Development that sort of celebrates differences 
And, you know, sometimes we have fights and disagreements and conflicts and, and that's okay. Um, and that's what ultimately, if you can do that with respect and care for one another, then it can actually lead to a better outcome in the end. Yeah, for sure. To, to that point, how many employees do you have? Who, what, what makes up your team uh, there yep. at Cofield? So the, the majority of the team are the 33, six and three crew members uh, themselves. So there's about 30 to 40 of them at any given time. And then folks are graduating out and then new folks are coming in uh, to that model. And then we have a, what we call a core leadership team of about 16 or 17 at any given time that sort of keep, keep, keep the thing running. I have an executive team. Uh, so I'm the CEO and we have a operations officer, development officer, and financial officer, which is Sam. Um, so that's sort of, that's sort of like the executive suite, so to speak. I, I've heard people refer to Cofield development and say, because of Cofield development, there's hope for the future in Appalachia. Is there uh, what's the future for Cofield development, uh, you know, next 10 years, next 15 years. Um, is there a future there? For me, it's all about that network. Uh, you know, I'm feeling really encouraged actually of other entrepreneurs who are out there who are trying to build a new economy here. And so when I think about the future of Coalfield, again, I don't really want to grow a huge bureaucratic entity. I really want to grow that network and support other people living out their passions and building their own businesses and making it happen um, for a new economy here. I think, I mean, in some ways it's really tough times and, and we all, you know, you can't ignore that. Right. So, I mean, the coal industry has sort of had this rapid decline. It, we have lost a lot of jobs. You know, we have had an addiction crisis, but in other ways it's a, it's a moment of opportunity too, because I feel like coal's been so dominant for so long. And now that it's not there anymore, at least like it was in one regard, it's a void, which is scary and fearful. But in another regard, there's like new space now and new openings that weren't there before that local entrepreneurs can seize and take advantage of. And I'm, and I am starting to see that happen. And so I think Coalfield's future is building this network and supporting all these entrepreneurs. So there's no truer statement than sometimes it's not about everything you know, but who you know. So keep, keep making that network larger. <laughs> yep, exactly. I, I wanted to ask you, this is something we also ask all our guests, where do you, where, where do you call home? I think we already know that answer, but where do you call home and what makes it unique? What makes it home for you? Yeah, West Virginia's home. I think what's interesting about people in West Virginia and Appalachia, most people in Appalachia know where they're going to be buried. So that sense of place, and, and my mind always goes to the family cemetery. I don't live right exactly at the family cemetery, but when people sort of ask me, like, why do you do this? Why do you stay? Why do you keep with it? My mind just goes to that family cemetery and those headstones and the stories that, that are there and that just sort of like truly being of a place, literally, you know, becoming of a place of a mountain. Um, it, you just can't let that go. Great answer. And it's, it's a segment that we have on this show of place. We, we, we find it very, very important. It's when Neil and I talk a little bit about, you know, something in regards to of place that just gives us that sense of place. So I was just going to say in that, that segment of of place, I think Brandon's answer would always 
direct us to that family cemetery that that he holds in high regard so I, I i love that answer as well so it makes perfect sense brandon we we definitely uh, appreciate you uh being on the show but more importantly we appreciate the work that you're doing in west virginia the work that you're doing for appalachia i mean the things that you're doing are very innovative i, I think you could have gone and done this anywhere or done something else somewhere else and you decided to come back home and, and do what you're doing and and uh you know you should be proud of that I, i'm sure you are but we definitely appreciate it and, and appreciate you not only being on the show but appreciate what you're doing thank you guys yeah, thanks for introducing appalachia to the world and lifting up some of the positive stories from here and uh you know just just keep on at it i would love to stay in touch wvu or marshall who, who you got Go herd, go herd all the way. <laughs> What's a better tailgate experience, Marshall or WVU? Well, that's not really fair. I, you know, I, Morgantown's got quite an atmosphere. So there's um, a bunch of Kentucky boys up there at Morgantown now running things. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Morgan WVU on game day is is pretty insane because that's that's a sixty thousand person experience, and yeah. Marshall's you know thirty thirty forty thousand. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about Marshall is um, the resilience, you know, just this small school in the small town with very little resources, with tragedy, you know, with the, yeah. with the, the crash in 1970 yeah. and just a community refusing to give up uh, and just doing the best we can with what we have. So even though our numbers aren't, aren't the biggest, you will not find a more passionate fan base uh, anywhere in the country would be my argument. So WVU is like the South and Marshall is like Appalachia. I agree with that. I think that's <laughs> accurate. Yeah. We, we got the scrappy gumption of the Appalachian spirit. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right. We appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks, Thanks a lot. We'll stay in touch, man. And, and uh, good luck with everything. Okay, all right, all right, Will. I, I hope you got as much enjoyment out of that as I did. You know, Brandon is one of those guys that's doing incredible things for West Virginia, and I hope our listeners got that and understand just how hard he's worked. He's going on a decade with Cofield Development, and I didn't realize that until tonight that that he's been doing this thing for ten years now. So uh, I thought it was awesome to to just learn more about his process. And, um, you know, what he's doing with individual companies out there. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that hopeful that somebody does that in Kentucky. Yeah, I'm not only encouraged, I'm excited about what, what he's done, what, what the whole Cofield Development Organization has done. I mean, I loved his point when he mentioned that in starting Cofield Development, he just did, he didn't want to be another big nonprofit. He wanted to solve problems in West Virginia, but the last thing that West Virginia and the world and the world needs is another big nonprofit. I love that point because, you know, part of what Cofield development does and part of what their, I guess you would call it their business plan is put a, a big importance on sustainability, not only within the organization, mm-hmm. but also in those private, in those social enterprises that he was talking about. And he grasped, he grasped the, the point of real world problems and he, he's found a solution and there's 
thousands upon thousands of people, people that you and I have relationship with that we can think of that could really utilize the training and the skill and the determination and the direction that Coldfield offers to, to individuals in our society today, every, every day. So I, I think it's great what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That and, and we mentioned it in the episode, but the way that he not only focused on workforce development, but found the reasoning behind the importance of having employment for those for that workforce. Can't just have yeah. the like he said, the chicken and the egg. Can't just have the workforce and not the employment and vice versa. And I just think it's brilliant and very innovative the way that they introduce their employees to sustainable businesses that can diversify the economy in Southwest Virginia. You know, this is kind of the last, not the last episode in regards to entrepreneurship. We're always going to be talking to entrepreneurs and great things going on in the region, but this is kind of a four part where we talked about entrepreneurship overall, where we talked to an individual entrepreneur and now we're talking to an organization and it's just a good point of showing the importance of diversifying the economy and how Brandon and Cofield development is trying to do it. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm encouraged. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm trying to figure out how I can come up with this, uh, 33, six and three in my own life. You think I can do that? Just from an individual standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I need it individually. I love it. I, I, I really, uh, wish that uh, I could I could do the same. So yeah, you know, I think with a, took, with a new mate with a new baby, I think your hardest yeah. one would not be the three. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I might I might need to go like twenty three, ten, <laughs> seven, maybe. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I liked it. Uh, so uh, in our in our next segment uh, of place segment, you know. Uh, I've been I'm trying to jump the gun here on you because I want to hear from you tonight. So do, do you have anything for us in regards to that? Uh, yeah, I, it kind of came to me while while we were talking to Brandon of just something in regards to of place of what gives us that, you know, sense of place in Appalachia. But it's, it's when he was talking about defining success we don't and shouldn't all necessarily define success in the same way. What success in a big city isn't always the same as success in uh, a small rural town, just like entrepreneurship doesn't look the same everywhere. You know, I was just thinking about that. And, and uh, especially in Appalachia, not like we don't need to be concerned about what other people, what, you know, you'll call them outsiders if you want, but what other people think success is, we just need to be concerned mm -hmm. about what success is in Appalachia. I mean, it's not going to look the same and it shouldn't look the same. You know, we shouldn't get away from our, our, our ideals in, in Appalachia in regards to the, the importance of family, our commitment to community, our respecting of the land. Some of the things that we've always held true uh, to our hearts in Appalachia. And that's, you know, that's something that, we should consider when we think about success. I don't think all, all communities, all regions think like Appalachians. Um, and it's something that I think we hold true to our heart, true to our own ideals. And I think it's important for us in becoming a better community, becoming a better society, becoming a better uh, Appalachia. If we can just figure out how 
we can help Appalachians work for Appalachia, you know, I think we'll be better off. That's, that's just, you know, what I was thinking about when he, when he mentioned or pointed out success. Uh, I I think it's that that roadmap's different for everybody. I think, uh, you know, inside and outside Appalachia, there are uh, some big differences there in that, what that definition is. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. That, that, and that was kind of all I had. I just, uh, you know, Appalachia for, for us both is a special place, and I think we should hold true. Well, well hold true to our to our ideals while still going forward to the future, if that makes sense. Absolutely, pretty poetic too. I like that. <laughs> I was going to fire out a Wendell Berry quote, but I can't, I can't do that off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, I had to look that one up too. <laughs> Again, it's a, a great episode. I think. Uh, a lot of people can benefit to to what you know Brandon was saying and what their organization is doing, not only yeah, inside Brandon, West Virginia but also out. Brandon's one of those guys too. I, I think you know we could have him on every six months and and learn something new about Appalachia. So he's a I great know. great uh, person to know. Yeah, he, he was he was being kind of modest too. I know, and he didn't mention this that they are having they have some partnerships with the World Bank, with Duke with the other other large organizations outside of Appalachia just to learn from each other and and to help others learn from what he's doing there. I mean, we've talked about before in regards to entrepreneurship and setting our sights big in Appalachia and why shouldn't we? And I don't know if in the beginning that he set his sights quite as big as as Cofield Development has become, but it's become a true trendsetter for other organizations. Yeah, I know he talked about it. We mentioned it a little bit, but I'm sure that, you know, he, he talked in, in Silicon Valley a couple of weeks ago. But now that he's been on Appalachian Meets World, uh, he's really hit the pinnacle. So um, yeah, it's, all, it's all downhill uh, from here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I hope he's listening. And thank, that, thank you to him again. And I'll just say that. Yeah, we definitely appreciate his time, appreciate what he's doing. And I'll just go ahead and end it like I always do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings. And singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains